Good Friday, everyone. Welcome to the VolQuest.com podcast with Rob Lewis, Jesse Simonton, and Austin Price. Glad to have you along with us on a mailbag edition of the VolQuest.com podcast. A more energy today, huh? I got a little more energy. It's a Friday, open date. You know, we're going to um, watch some ball this weekend. we got some good questions in the You're mailbag. You're excited about tonight's game between the Gibbs Eagles and the Central Bobcats. I'm afraid I'm going to freeze to death, but uh, we'll see what happens tonight. Some high school football in the area. It's a big one for Rob Lewis and the Lewis family as well. So, uh, plenty of good high school football going on around the state of Tennessee, but certainly here in the Knoxville area. All right, enough about that. Let's get into it. we got some good questions today, so we're going to ram uh, through as many of these as we can go. All right, Jesse said in the chat, this is from... Uh, uh, Dagley07. Jesse said in the chat he thinks the Vols finished somewhere between 8 and 15 in the team recruiting rankings. This is a bit more optimistic than I would have, many would have expected. I think a lot of fans are thinking more like 15 to 22. So the question is, what's the reason for the optimism that Tennessee is going to finish 8 to 15 in the recruiting cycle and rankings? Well, part of that, I think, is, now, and I haven't done the exact you know, math here on, on all the different class calculators or whatever, but Tennessee is going to go up. I mean, they're going to add several four stars. I'm, I'm fairly confident. And right in that. now, one of the things weighing them down is they're not to a certain number on the rivals' rankings. Once you get to a 20, you know, it, point is, is that Will, Will Albright is hurting your ranking right now. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, yeah, and, and you know, he's he is a part of this class, but he's a guy that you know they're having to take as a as a, you have to have a long snap or what have you. But when you when you add Tyler Barron's a four-star, and I'm not saying all these guys necessarily going to come to Tennessee, but she didn't add up the guys that Tennessee is still heavily in the mix for. The defensive linemen, all three of these guys are, are high four-stars. Amari Thomas being the highest ranked of the three of Amari, Tyler, Octavius Oxenon. Tennessee is, I think, in a 50-50 battle. Maybe Alabama's still in the mix there, but with you know a top 15 player in the country in Darnell Washington. Um, and, and they're going to continue to swing at Jay Hardy. I mean, you know, I mean, yeah. They, but and then there's other guys. I mean, like Lenneth White. You know, you just start kind of adding some guys. Well, up. You, got, you got some guys like Jalen Hyatt's going to go up in the rankings. I think that's pretty clear by everything that the rivals people have put out that, that there's a chance he jumps up in the rankings. And some guys. Jones Bale is a guy that Tennessee's still in on. I think he's hard to get away from Alabama. I think he'll visit that last weekend. I still think that's going to be a tough pull. But if anybody can do it, it'll be Brian Well, but that, those are some of the reasons why Tennessee is going to climb up in the rankings moving forward and have a chance to make a pretty pretty good jump. And they're um, at 18 right now, so I don't think like what I even said right. was that, was right. that you, ambitious. You, you, I mean, I mean, like I, the only way they get in the top 10, and I put this in the chat, and someone did come back and say, hey, if you see this, the only way I think they actually do crack the top 10 is if they pretty much sweep most of the guys we talked about, plus flip a Chris Morris or, or, you know, something like that. Otherwise, they're likely to finish. I have I pulled up the rankings right now. They're likely to finish somewhere probably between 12 and 15. I got you. All right. Let's go on to corn from a jar. What do you guys think is wrong with the running game? And more importantly, what do you think needs to be done to fix the run game? Rob, I'll start with you. I mean, health up front is big, a big part of it. I mean, they're still moving people around. And I just, I mean, I think Tennessee has decent tailbacks, but man, they don't have somebody... You know, in, in this league, if you're an all-conference player at running back, you're 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 getting ready. Roger Goodell's calling your name in the, in the first round of the NFL draft. And Tennessee just doesn't have anybody like that. I mean, I, you know, and it's one of the age-old you know, cliches in football because it's true. A good running back can make any an offensive line look look pretty good. And I, I just don't think Tennessee has guys that are that dynamic. I think that's one part of it. But they're just, I mean, they're just not being great on the offensive line. I mean, you're, you're starting two freshmen. You're moving guys around. Trey Smith, you know, hasn't practiced 
at all. You know, your best offensive lineman doesn't practice during the week. I mean, I, there's a lot. There's a lot going on up, up there. Well, and the other thing too is they didn't call a bunch of runs against Kentucky. They, they didn't run it. They didn't attempt to run it a whole lot yeah, with they, the running. I mean, they backs. tried to run it against UAB and averaged three point. Yeah, it was carry. it was not good. That was as Coach Pruitt said following UAB. That was the first game this year that that, that they regressed up front. They did not build and improve. Well, um, it, it, they, really, they did not play very and well. And really, except for. There was that time. There was against BYU, and then some. Sometimes against Alabama, they really haven't had it where both the offensive line and the running backs have been in concert. You know, at sometimes the running backs have been ready to have looked like they've they're right there, or whatever. But there's no hold run. The other times the offensive line has has, has opened up a hole, and as Pruitt kind of lamented on Monday or Wednesday, excuse me, the running backs haven't hit it, or the running backs haven't made a guy miss. Um, and I thought, so the, I they were really good against Mississippi State, and then. I don't think they've gotten back there necessarily. Yeah, I would, I would, I would agree with that. I would, their best two games are probably – Mississippi State probably is, is in the category for there. But it, in my opinion, the way the O-line block and the running backs performed, I would say BYU and, and Alabama. Yeah, from a sustained standpoint. The Mississippi State game is about how they finished and the fact that right. they came off the goal line you know, and went you know, 40, 50 yards just running the football, which says you're, you're, you know, you're doing a good job running the football. I think it's interesting when you look at this season – they may play the whole game and not play with their five most physical guys because they never could get there because, because of health concerns. You know, there, there's some talk. There was some thought that Wanye Jameer on the left side, Brandon Kennedy, Trey Smith, and Darnell Wright might be your most physical five, and they've just never been able to get to that. It's hard to move Trey. I get that. You know, in the middle of the season, you got some continuity going on there. But in terms of your five best physical guys, I don't know that they're going to line up and play with those five all season long, but because of various ailments and injuries. They may have had. also changed their mind on if those five are actually the most physical, which is why Jerome has played a lot. I mean, Calvert didn't played every single snap at right tackle. I mean, I know Darnell was hurt, but they rotated pretty much everyone else up front except for him and, uh, you know, Brandon Kennedy. So, Yeah, that's true. All right, let's go to uh, Big O, who has a uh, – question here. It says, do you think that Jeremy Pruitt's building the program the right way? Do you think that he has what it takes to get us back to where we're competing for the SEC East titles as soon as 2021? Um, why do you, and he said, expound on why you believe or do not believe that Jeremy Pruitt's got this thing, that he's building it the right way and that he can get Tennessee back to the East. I'll start with you, Austin. I think he's building it in the best way you can build it, which is at the line of scrimmage. You know, doing it up front, um, you know, um, in recruiting, you know, you look at the last couple of classes, Wanye, Darnell, um, you know, Tennessee's in on a ton of defensive linemen in this, in this 2020 class. I think that's where you win. You win with you win with quarterback, and then you win with, you know, really good line play. And then I think more than anything, just developing. I mean, these, these kids, you know, have just bought in, and, uh, you know, the plays he's getting, of, uh, and it's not just him, it's the whole staff. Uh, the, way, the way they're getting really solid play out of some of these guys up front on the defensive line continues to impress me. And uh, it just looks like a, a group that, you know, he's, he's I won't say changed the culture. I think that's kind of, you know, everybody wants to say that. But he's made it where everybody is, you know, really kind of having fun. You go back to Rick's basketball team a year ago, they just seemed like they were having fun together. Same with this football team. I mean, it don't seem like there's a lot of bickering or infighting. They just kind of, you know, are having fun playing football and just 
you know, going out and, and you know, chasing the ball around a little bit. Yeah, winning four or five will help you do that for sure. Yeah, I don't know right. that it was a, but <laughs> but I, I know it's your point. I mean, I think his decision to build more relationships with players has benefited this team, which is why they could get through the ugly start to this season and not completely fall apart. I'm not sure his team a year ago would have stayed with him if they had started the way they started this season. And I, and I think just nuts to get the question about competing in the East, I mean, I, I think you're seated. I mean, we all said it in the preseason that you're not ready to compete with Georgia and Alabama, but you need to start beating Kentucky, Vanderbilt, South Carolina, and they look like and Tennessee, if they win the next two, they're, they'll, they've, they'll they've done that. And they, I mean, they clearly look like they're headed in a different direction than South Carolina. I mean, Saturday night at Kentucky, I mean, I, we all saw what happened, and you know, Vanderbilt is, is Vanderbilt again. Well, yeah, and I will say, I will say this, too. To, to get it back to compete, they got to get better quarterback, quarterback play. They're building on the offensive and defensive lines. You're exactly right. But the, to get to the elite, so to speak, to compete in the Eastern Division, I think they have to get more – uh, dynamic at quarterback. They have to play better at the quarterback position, I mean, regardless of who it is. Just like I said at running back, look at the three teams that are competing for the conference title. That was They've all got first-round draft picks. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. maybe, and two of them may have top five draft picks. Yeah, I mean, Alabama's winning because of Tua. LSU's winning because of Joe Burrow. We know what Jake Fromm does for, for Georgia. They have parts around them. I get all of that. But the trigger guy is, is, is important and, and makes it go. So I think that's the big question mark for how quick they continue to ascend forward. I, to, I, also think, I also think Pruitt is, just a, in terms of a very macro look at this, I do think, you know, a lot of times Pruitt doesn't say a whole lot of things that are particularly interesting publicly, but clearly I do think some of the things that he has motivated his team with has clearly resonated. And I thought this week, you know, there's not a lot of interesting stuff that even comes out from the players publicly, but kind of the comments that several guys made about, you know, um, being where your feet are, and I, that, that's kind of a simple statement, but I think that that has really actually taken, um, it, it's really grasped this team where that's why they didn't lose hope even though they started 0-2. They haven't really, they haven't got caught up looking forward to a single game. And so, you know where their feet are? They're 5-5 five and five right now and they're trying to get healthy on the bye week and they're focused on Missouri they're not focused on all right let's get to Florida for a Florida bowl game or let's you know let's get revenge on Bandy or whatever they're they've lived in the present and that's allowed them to kind of basically take the that punch uh and it was a big it was all nearly a knockout blow when you start 0-2 but it's allowed them to kind of regain their footing and then slowly march and get better as a football team yeah I think that's a great point the other thing I would say too is I think you're your belief in Pruitt is a little more, not just because of the record, but because how you've seen him grow from year one to year two as a coach in terms of managing his team, not beating them up, understanding, you got to adjust practice schedule. He's been more open to some change to coach this team. Now, he'll coach next year's team differently than he coaches this year's team, but he has adapted to what this year's team can do better than I think he adapted to that team, particularly down the stretch last year. Let's go to uh, Rex here, and we're going to jump into the basketball world for a couple of questions. Rob, Eves Ponds, where did this offense come from? Can he maintain it when the competition gets tougher, or is this just a couple of good games for him? I think it's more than a couple of good games. I'm not saying he's going to score 19 points a game in, in SEC play, but yeah, I, mean, I think he's... I mean, would be a big help if he did. He's, I mean, <laughs> it, it's come from a ton of hard work, and I think he was embarrassed by you know how he played last year when when, when Rick you know, gave him the chance. I mean, I think he felt tentative, and um, 
You know, also, I, I think playing on the international scene this summer, even though, you know, he didn't put up big numbers, but I think playing against that competition as a starter for the French team that came in third in the FIBA World Championships in the under-20 division, I think that you know, boosted his confidence. And, I mean, as Rick will tell you, anytime you ask him about it, he's one of the hardest workers on the team. I mean, just it, it comes from getting up a ton of shots, I mean, all the time, every day. And, yeah, I mean, I, again, I don't think he's going to average, what's he averaging now, 17 points a game. I don't think that's going to keep – probably be the case but I, he looks to me like he can be a double digit scorer I, I, I tell you it was inter interesting Wednesday night on ball calls Rick Barnes said I asked him about Ponds I said well, you know what, what do you make of kind of all this he said the biggest thing that I've seen out of Eves Ponds is, is his communicating he went to Lamonte Turner and said hey if you'll throw it up I'll go get it on the pick and roll I'm open get get I'm ready get me the ball and that's something he clearly has not been comfortable with at this point, uh, up until this point in his career. It tells you kind of the confidence he has and the growth he's got going on right now. All right, stay in basketball. This is, uh, we'll just call him Steven Jackson. I don't know what, Valanzio. What is that, Austin? Valanzio, say it with confidence. Steven Valanzio Jackson wants to know, Rob, uh, any idea what are the planned roles for Pembering Gaines this year? Uh, I mean, Rick needs them both. I don't know exactly you know, if, if he has an idea in mind of, of the minutes that he, he wants those guys to play, but I mean, they're they're clearly going to be a part of the puzzle. Where Rick, you know, Rick, I asked Rick Point Blank a couple weeks ago about redshirt and Pember. He's like, nope, absolutely not. And um, you know, Devonte was Devonte had a chance the other night to, to play some big minutes. Uh, I mean, Rick put him in pretty early in the first half. And he you know drives into traffic, turns the ball over out of bounds, and didn't take his warm up jacket off the rest of the night. <laughs> So, I mean, those guys are going to play, but I, I, mean, I think part of it's going to depend on foul trouble, part of it's going to depend on matchups, but they'll be the um, eighth, eighth and ninth guys off the bench. Yeah, I think Gaines got to, got to make sure he can handle or take care of the basketball and not turn it over. That's a couple of things that has jumped out about me. I like his game, but I think he's got to learn to be better with the basketball. All right, let's go to Priest Fall's question. Since we all love a good coaching search, that's debatable, and we, we won't be getting one of our own this year, don't think. Um, any surprise openings that might shake up the landscape? Maybe South Carolina, USC, unknown around the country. Is, is Will Muschamp, is he going to make it? I think the big question first over there is, is Ray Tanner going to make it as athletics director, which could change the landscape for Will Muschamp? Yeah, but I was reading, I, I didn't realize how high Muschamp's buyout was. It's big. It's $19 million. <laughs> yeah, Jimmy, I don't, Jimmy Sexton. <laughs> He got Arkansas he got just that, chunked the guy with a with an eighteen million dollar buyout or something, right? Yeah, but he had not won an SEC game That's in two true. years. Apathy was not apathy's there in Arkansas. I, I, I So you think you think gonna be all right because of the buyout? I think I'm sword for him, likely McClendon, and, and and I think to me definitely Bobby Bentley. Yeah, I think it's probably gonna be multiple coaches. It's gonna be. I mean, but I, I would be, I, I can't say stunned, but I, I, based on that, I would be pretty surprised. It, this is also, also going to be a tough landscape to get into the coaching market for, I think, because while last year there was buku openings, this year they're going to be fairly select, but you're going to be at, like, always behind Florida State and USC. So if, there's, if, if people already think the candidate pool is rather shallow right now because there's so many first-year head coaches at different – is Neil Brown's probably not going to jump? You know, maybe he would, but you know, but I mean, like, there's going to be shallow. So the pool, if the pool is shallower, this may not be a year to go ahead and can your coach. Well, and, and you know, I've heard rumblings, depending on who Ole Miss hires as their AD, that could potentially be a change. You know, who, who gets the Arkansas job? You know, Arkansas going to try to go down that road again with Gus. 
you know, and see if they can get him to jump based off, you know. Well, his is like $26 million. Yeah, so if Ar- Rob said, you got to fire me if, first. If, if, Ar- if Arkansas is going to go that direction to get that, they're, they're going to pay – they're going to have to pay because they're going to end up losing that court deal with with Bielema. They're going to have to end up paying him some money. Maybe yeah. it's not all of it. But they're going. Brett Bielema is not going to get. They're not going to turn the faucet off on his no. bank account. There's some cash coming <laughs> there somewhere. Last I checked, Hubs, this world eats a lot of chicken. So you know. Between well, the I got it. They've got Tyson money. They've got. But but are they going to put forty or you know forty million dollars into buyouts for three coaches essentially? Because yeah. you got to buy Gus out of his deal. You, you know. You're gonna to have to. They have. They. they it'll be hard. They got, they're. They're praying. They're honestly praying that that Florida State finds their guy, whether it's whether they've land the, the splash with Stoops or whatever the heck. But they hope that they find their guy, and it's not Norvell, and then they can just say, "All right, Mike, we screwed up last time. It should have been you and not Chad Morris. Come back to Arkansas. You played at Central. You have ties here. You can still go recruit Memphis." You don't. It's not a sea change in terms of schematics. Right. Be better. All right. So. Follow up question from Priestfall is: Does Lane get a Power Five job this year? I'm going to say no. He wants one. Yeah, but I'm. <laughs> he's not taking Arkansas. He wouldn't take that job. I don't believe. Wow, you don't think so? I don't, I don't think so because I think he views it as a non-winnable. I don't. I don't think he views it as a winning situation. I mean, there. I I would agree with that, but golly, now he money. would crawl to Florida State. He yeah. would crawl to Florida Long State. Glass and hot coal. Yeah. But I don't know if Florida State will go down that. They may end, that may be where they land. They may be landing in that area down there. I, I don't because I don't think they're going to promote Higgins to be the head coach, even though there's this social media push from current players to try to get that done. I'm just not sure where Florida State's going to land. I don't think they're hiring Dion either. No, <laughs> and I don't know where they are. So uh, where they are financially. All right. R. Berger, uh, looking ahead to Mississippi uh, to Missouri Vanderbilt this season versus 2018. How does Tennessee compare along the line of scrimmage against both those teams because they were dominated a year ago? How, how's this matchup for Tennessee better this year? I think Tennessee's clearly a year further along. They've got more of an offensive identity. I think they're better in the line of scrimmage, and I don't think Missouri or Vanderbilt is as good in the line of scrimmage uh, no, as they were a year ago. Vanderbilt especially on, on uh, defense. I mean, they're, they're atrocious up, up front. Just atrocious. Although Kentucky, I, I have nothing to. I mean, I, I actually think Missouri is is decent. Again, well, they're they're so Jekyll and Hyde home and away. We'll we'll have a little bit better understanding about their kind of fight uh, to finish this season after Saturday. But yeah, I mean, I would not be surprised if Tennessee, especially because of the way they've played against Vandy, if they're motivated to even try to hang a fifty burger on them. Yeah, yeah. I, I think Tennessee I mean, Mullen did it because he doesn't like Derek Mason and, <laughs> right. and their beef. And he was even calling timeouts in the last, you know, 30 seconds of the game. I don't think Tennessee's going to do that. But I think as bad as that defense is, Tennessee is going to be highly motivated to seek some revenge here in two weeks. Well, again, you go back to Juwan's rant on Instagram. It was part because he wouldn't get to play against Vanderbilt. He hates Vanderbilt. So it's his last time in the stadium. He's going to be motivated. I think, you know, Especially if they can find a way to win in Missouri, they're going to just ride this thing off into fireworks and the sunset and the whole shebang. But I do think Tennessee's in a better place than both those teams in the line of scrimmage, physically and obviously mentally. Overall, mentally. I think they're in a better place. Because I mean, Missouri loses this weekend, four game losing streak. Right. Smokey Govals, with the recent announcements by Georgia, Florida, and Alabama, among others, scheduling home-and-home series with Power 5 schools, Tennessee looking at any future opponents. Yes, they've got Oklahoma and Nebraska on the horizon. 
any other possibilities. Do you think, and I don't know specifics on Tennessee, but do you think in the world of college football we are moving towards more of those matchups like, like you know, those intersectional matchups, Rob, that we saw some in years past, but kind of everybody got away from that to schedule six wins. Do you think the, the big dogs are going back into that world? I mean, I, I think it, it feels like it because of all these kind of made-for-TV games, you know, that you kick the season off with. Um, I mean, look at how much exposure Georgia got from playing Notre Dame. I mean, that's I, 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 it's probably the highest-rated college football broadcast of the season, I, I imagine. So, I mean, I, I think exposure-wise, it, it makes all kinds of sense. Well, it's, it's also it's – also it's a security for for the upper echelon teams to schedule higher, especially SEC when you have eight conference games and then you say, all right, every year we're going to play a top power five team because we have playoff aspirations. Whereas if they played nine, nobody's going to do that. Well, I, some of the Big 12 teams still do that because because they don't or some of the, you know they don't they don't think their schedules whatever. So I, I think especially you see some of these teams, Georgia, Oklahoma. And some other schools have have scheduled really aggressively for about when you're projecting like seven eight years down the road and there's thoughts from andy this is not my this is not an original thought from me but andy staples and some other national guys have posited that it's been it's smart looking forward because if you think the playoffs going to expand you're only helping your strength to schedule right. also we've seen i mean it's not it's not a guarantee every year but if, especially if you're playing one of those early games a loss doesn't kill you Exactly. Does. And, if, and if you expand, the loss is definitely not going to kill you exactly. if you expand in the playoffs. All right, but let's it, go. And it can only help you with your strength of schedule. All right, to Charlie Work we go. Rob, the chances James Wiseman plays against Tennessee on December the 14th? Ah, man, I mean, I, NCAA, who knows? I mean, I thought Euros Plavzic would be playing for Tennessee. So, I mean, I, I, I don't know. Not even pretend to guess. I mean, it <laughs> sounds like the fact that he withdrew this lawsuit and, and Memphis is now sitting him. It sounds to me like there's there's been some communication like, and a compromise maybe in the works. I mean, like so, a like a like suspension, suspension for a period for, for the some, first some of the year time. or a month or whatever. But I tell you what, man. If I'm Rick Barnes this week and to get off the wise topic, and I'm getting ready to play Washington with, with Quade Green, who played. 16 games at Kentucky last year and is immediately eligible at Washington while Plavzic is is kept at home after he didn't play at all in Arizona State last year as a red shirt. I'm, I'm boiling. Yeah, I, I'm, I, and I think that goes to the questions that everybody has about the NCAA. It's where's the, you know, where's the, the, the we talked about it a couple of weeks ago on the podcast. Something's got to level the playing field where there's some transparency and so there's some equality to what's going on that you know, to, to give you an idea of why some of this stuff is happening. All right, Charlie's got a follow-up. Penny Hardaway, Bill Self, Will Wade, Bruce Pearl, Sean Miller have all been caught breaking major rules. They've not been punished by the NCAA in any meaningful way. Yet eight years ago, Bruce Pearl had to be fired because he hosted a barbecue. Seems like coaches are more brazen about paying players and the NCAA is turning the other cheek. Has the NCAA lost its teeth? Or are they simply gathering information before they drop the hammer? Uh, my guess is that the NCAA is going to pull their trademark move, make an example of a smaller market school, and let other violators slide with my, with possible minor punishments. Well, I mean, I think it's I think you're going to see, you know, yes, I mean, I'm surprised that Will Wade in particular still has a job, but um, you know, NCAA is going after Kansas, and that one, you know, that one sounds like it has some teeth in it, and I I, I think you'll see some more fallout from all these investigations. But no, I mean, if I'm a coach right now, why am I scared about? 
breaking the rules. But, but it's less about been, it's less it's always been less about breaking the rules than getting caught about lying yeah, that's, about breaking you can't, the rules. You I mean that's caught, that's what you've got to start. Screwed up you've got to start negotiating. You got to put yeah. your hands up in the air right. and yeah, start that, negotiating. That, that's what that's, messed up. That's Bruce. the part. That's the part everybody gets lost in. Yeah, it in wasn't the Bruce world the barbecue. Did. It wasn't. Yeah. It wasn't that they were grilling hamburgers at a house illegally. It's the fact that he li they lied to NCAA investigators to their face about it, and then he went back in the office and called a kid's parents, Aaron Kraft, and said, "Hey." Cover for me because this is what I just made told him. Conspiracy. Yeah, yeah, I mean, so that that's what got Bruce Pearl. I mean, if he th if he throws his hands up and says, you know, I'm sorry, I did it, then they, you, they you, take away a yeah. few evaluation periods. Yeah, it meant, yeah, you lose some days on the road. You probably can't recruit Aaron Kraft anymore, and Bruce may, may still be here. He, he might be. All right, chaotic ball on to football recruiting on Whitehead. He said he's locked into playing running back in college now. Pretty sure Tennessee was recruiting him as a linebacker with our new push for him. Or are they taking him now as a running back if he wanted to commit to Tennessee? What's, where, where are we at with, with Whitehead? Yes. They, they were always recruiting him as both. Okay. They did, I think, at the time, lean towards defense. But, you know, that's changed with the fact that, you know, he, he's pretty locked down on just playing defense. But at the time that Tennessee was leaning defense, he was also leaning towards being open to whatever. Now all of a sudden he's kind of done the 180 and said strictly running back. I'm told he went to South Carolina on, a, on his unofficial visit last weekend and only defensive coaches talked to him. That was a real eye-opener for him, which is exactly why he postponed his announcement. Uh, I do think Tennessee is, is going to get another shot to uh, Impress uh, Lance Whitehead. All right, we're gonna we're gonna wrap it up. We're gonna get not wrap it up, but we're gonna wrap the fire a little more here. All right, I heart balls. This is for Jesse. Um, well, some of this is for Jesse. He asked, "What's Todd Kelly Jr. Congo, Paul Bain, Dylan Bain, Bates up to?" Todd Kelly Jr. is in Knoxville, Chattanooga now. Uh, Chattanooga Got now. A job down there. Tweeting quite a bit. Congo's uh, playing in the Canadian Football League. I don't know where Paul Bain or Dylan Bates are at this point. Jesse, tell me why. Uh, Jamiri Butler will not be another Jordan Allen, and why do you not like Lee Greenwood, Jesse? I don't. I, have, I don't care about Lee Greenwood. I thought it was a funny joke. It was innocuous, uh, and I mean Butler. I think uh, has has it just is, is a better raw athlete. I think than than Jordan Allen. You know, Butler ran as a you know a, a four five nine, um, thirty four inch arms and. Has already done some productive. Has has had a single productive high school season in his only year of playing football. My, I, my my sources tell me Jesse does not like Lee Greenwood because in his run across America from New York to L.A. and Detroit down to Houston, he doesn't reference Georgia or Florida. <laughs> I thought he just didn't like. He just hadn't heard all of Lee Greenwood's great hits like Dixie Road, uh, Bassmaster Vol or Austin. This is for you. Do you think Thayu Jones Bell visits again? If so, do the Vols landing? Will Noah Sewell visit again? And will Darion Williamson end up in this class? Those three for I you. I think TJB visits. I, I still think it's hard to get him away from Alabama because, man, when you watch Alabama's offense, and I get it, two is not going to be there, but it don't matter. What he's seeing for his own eyes. Bryce Young is. Is, is you know, well, yeah. But, I mean, again, what, what he, is he going to be as good as two? I mean, no, but these kids are signing up to play with no, the number one quarterback no, in the country. Yeah, it's the same reason they signed up to play with Trevor Lawrence and these guys no, on I'm down. I'm with you. I'm just saying, like, but my point, though, is, is you know, he doesn't think they're dropping off because yeah. two is leaving. Yeah. Is the point? And so he's going to. He, what he's seen with his eyes is a lot of big pass plays, a lot of receivers making huge plays. So he's three still, guys going to the NFL. At I still think position. that it's going to be tough to pull in for Bama. But like I said earlier in the podcast, if he might do it, it's Niedermeyer. 
I don't think Noah Sewell will visit again, but I don't ever want to close the door on anything, especially with a kid that Brian's recruiting. Um, he's really good at getting kids to campus. And uh, yes, it says a lot that they're bringing in the kid next week. Though. Yeah, Kehoe, whose brother plays at Alabama. Uh, Darian Williamson, uh, I do think he'll end up in this class, yes. All right. Uh, which This is from Matt I. Which recruits that have committed elsewhere do you think the balls have the best chance at flipping? Dayu Jones-Bell, I don't know if you got a great shot, but you're going to be in that one. Well, we'll start with Jay Hardy. And Jay I mean, Hardy, I, I you're going to battle there. Tennessee's going to continue to swing there. Um, but, you know, they want to try to flip him. Tennessee's got no shot with Trayvon Ripka. I know Jeremy went by the high school the other day, but that kid's going to Kentucky. Um, and, uh, you know. Jimmy Holiday, maybe? Maybe. Yeah, maybe Jimmy Holiday. You know, they like him a lot. But, again, though, as you and I have talked about, you know, off podcast or off air, how many yeah, spots? How many, I mean, we've got 18 guys. We've got seven spots left. I mean, I just, in years past, you could look at the class and go, that kid's not going to make it here. Yeah, they'll, they'll drop him. I don't know if I can really look at a kid and go, they're going to drop him in this class. And I guess one guy we, we will say, because we've discussed this off pod, but put it in here, had kind of had a little note in the war room. It does sound like Tennessee has kind of backed off a little bit about in its pursuit to flip Chris Morris. Yes. Yeah, I mean – you know, and, and that's, you know, again, though, that there's ebbs and flows to that thing. They go back and forth. There's a, a constant debate one way or the other. So, you know, I, I, the sneaky team to watch, but to me, there's two teams to watch for Chris Morris. It's Miami and it's LSU uh, as potential landing spots if he ends up not at Texas A&M. Interesting. Rob, who's the third basketball player setting out along with Plavich and Bailey? Nobody. Nobody? Just a walk-on guy? Yeah. Okay. There you go, Thrashers. There's your answer to that one. Just a walk-on guy. Um, I'm going to bounce around here a little bit because time's getting away from us. Miraval wants to know which position group has progressed or developed the least in your opinion this year, and which do you give credit more for the culture shift within the program right now? Some of the bad apples leaving that are no longer on the team are – um, leaders buying in, such as Batuli, Warrior, Jennings, th- those type of guys. I would, I say, uh, I think it's less about the bad apples, and I think it's the the cream has kind of risen to the top in terms of those veterans have have really set a great example for the rest of the team. All right, from a player, from a position group development, you know, I I don't, I mean, I don't know that. I mean, I think the tight ends are better. Pope's playing better than he played a year ago. Maybe they're not getting as much out of Wood Anderson as, as some people had thought. Um, running backs are probably similar to what they were a year ago. There's probably not a whole lot of difference. Punter. You know, punter. They're not regressed at punter. <laughs> they're regressed at punter. This is an interesting one from Luxuous Booms. I think it's fair to say that Henry T has had the largest impact this year uh, out of the 2019 class of freshmen. Which of the current commitments has the best chance to make that type of impact in 2020? I don't know if you can answer the second question. Do you agree with him that Henry T's had the largest impact of the 2019 class compared to, say, Wanye Morris, who's, who's, who's doing what he's doing at left tackle as a freshman? Probably because, I mean, we've – just because I think the drop-off from Henry T. When, when Henry I'm, T's I'm, down on the field? But yeah, especially okay. when, you add, when you add the fact that Ignat and Reed bounced and – you could at least we saw Calvert get, could give you serviceable. You know, I, I just Jameer Johnson. Yeah, there, there's, there's some other bodies there. I think you may trust a little more than you know. They're kind of holding their nose when they got to put JJ out there for even five snaps. All right, give me an impact guy in 2020, not named Harrison Bailey. Whew. 
I mean, the class is not done, well, so yeah, that could certainly change. You but you got to say a receiver, receiver right? Yeah, it's, it's, it's got to like be Hyatt or somebody like gotta that. It's got to be a wide receiver. Hyatt or potentially if they were to land Darnell Washington, because I think he'd have a chance to come in and, and be that guy right away. Okay. Yeah, if they could, if they could see that. The hard part is like you, you land these defensive linemen. I mean, like the thing that Texas got all those defensive linemen coming back plus him is good. Yeah, they you should. Know, they I mean, like, they should be hard for those guys to get, which is exactly what all these schools are telling them. These kids that they're going up against. It's what Auburn told Jay Hardy. I think anybody that they sign who's got some edge rushing ability is going to have a chance to have an impact. Maybe not Henry T level impact, but a chance to have an impact because they've got to find some people that get to. Uh, get to the passer because the question is going to be, and, and this is one of the questions in the chat in, in the in the mailbag stuff. I don't know if we'll get into it, but is is Crouch and Harrison better inside, better suited inside or outside? Yeah, I mean that that's going to be something that the staff's going to have to determine. I think in the spring, and it's going to be wholly dependent on how this class kind of ends up and. Perhaps, you know, if they land a guy like Tyler Barron, do they think that he could actually give them some stand-up edge presence as a you freshman? You won't because he's not early and early. But, it, but I'm just talking about from a body type. Do they think before he spends a year in the weight room, could he be an, a stand-up guy for one year at 245 pounds before he potentially Turn gets to 260? But he's going to lose some weight. But I'm it, just saying, it, he's it, right. It's, but I, I think they're going to rep Harrison and Crouch both at inside linebacker in the spring. I think they'll look at both those guys there. They may not stay there, but I think they'll look at them both. All right, to Tinkster 22. Uh, odds Trey Smith comes back next year? Slim. I would say zero. I'm I guess not. I can't say zero, but I'll say one percent. Slim. Slim. I think slim, and I, and I also think the fact that Russell Okun is back playing for the San Diego Chargers will give the you know give the NFL some. Some data on how you know how a guy with that a similar condition can manage it, and, you know how it can perform. All right, all right, go ahead. I'll go ten percent. Ten percent. There you go. Any traction on the JUCO running back that uh, originally signed with Florida State? Tennessee's still uh, still working that one. Um, same same cast of characters um, for Zay Quadre. Um, I hope to get him in here um, either for the Vanderbilt game and or the first week or two of December. All right, and then this, he wants, also wants to know about uh, the quarterback situation. You're going to start JG. If you do, you're still going to play Brian Maurer. You think it's still going to be a two-quarterback two deal the rest of the way here? I, I, I would, if you want to keep the same mojo, I'd roll Jawan out there for the first play, and then I'd bring in Jared Carantano. I mean, that's just how I would roll. From a, Just because just you don't want to, like – I'm saying if you're trying to keep this he's whole... Also, he's also got a rabbit's foot in his pocket. I was going to say, is that, is that what... Is that, I I'm mean, saying if you're trying to keep the whole mojo of him coming off the bench. Like, point is, if, even if you start someone else, they can't, they can't give somebody a whole half. And I know the other night, the first drive took half a quarter, two-thirds of the quarter, and it kind of changed the flow of the game. But, you know, to me, that's asking a lot for J.G. to come off the bench anything past two series. All right, Rocky Top 1776. With Philip Webb likely heading to LSU, is it possible that Ojolari could end up in uh, recruiting purgatory, having to look around again, regardless of Gilbert signs with Bama at the end? Keep in mind, LSU's at 25 commits, probably going to take, in this guy's opinion, Marcus Dumerville, Zach Evans, and they have several other bigger prospects in Ojolari. I don't know LSU's bored enough, but I mean, Philip Webb's another guy that's been like waiting and waiting and waiting, and I think his stock has kind of risen as the fall's gone on. Tennessee liked him a lot, but he was waiting on Auburn and Alabama and some of these other schools. So I don't know how his 
potential commitment impacts BJ, but I'd be hard pressed to think that they're going to move on from Ojolari. All right, last two questions here. Wake Law Vol, biggest concerns for this team in 2020. It was the defensive line in the eyes of most people in 2019. What will be your biggest concern in 2020? I mean, wide receiver, I would have to say. Yeah, I think, I'm, where's the playmaker? Where, where's the plays come from offensively? Who are the playmakers? I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I know AP's got him maybe coming back, but if JG's not back, we've seen how he's had to kind of rescue this bunch. Freshmen can obviously win and play in this league. There's no doubt about that. But I think there's going to be – you're definitely going to have some real quarterback questions, uh, especially if J.G. and perhaps Shroud end up end up leaving, you know, if, the, if they're not in the quarterback room come fall of 2020. Good point. All right, last one. How odd was it that Blakely and uh, Elijah Simmons were in the game for the last, December, last defensive series? Where was the first team? Uh, who was the 12th man on the penalty? Uh, was that ever explained? It was McCullough. It was McCullough on the, as, the, as the guy who didn't get off the field. And Blakely and Simmons were on the field because they were in their goal line jumbo deal. Yeah. And they play goal line jumbo. And they have not been in that formation a whole lot uh, because that's why Elijah their Simmons had only played in one take. Yeah, elephant is what they call there. And you'll see elephant uh, at least, you know, you might see it the next two weeks because Elijah Simmons can play two more games before he red shirts. All right, that's going to do it for this edition of the VolQuest.com Mailbag Podcast. For Rob Lewis, Jesse Simonton, and Austin Price, I'm Brent Hubbs. Thanks for joining us. Have a great Friday, everybody.